This morning, our, our text is from John chapter 8, uh, verse 31 through 36. Uh, and if you would, go ahead and please stand as we read this in preparation for this morning's message. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no, no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The word of the Lord. As I began this morning... Uh, first of all, I'm keeping water close by. Something about sitting on the plane for that long. I'm a little dry up here. Uh, but as uh, we begin this morning, I want to uh, take a moment and say how blessed we are uh, to have uh, Paxton Smith and Skylar Murphy working with our group uh, this summer as our interns. Um, this is a, a difficult summer uh, with uh, so much traveling and our group being gone to, gone to Brazil and uh, the two of you are doing an, an outstanding job of loving our students and proclaiming truth in their lives. So thank you for your ministry. <sighs> Last week, uh, it doesn't seem like a week ago, uh, but last week uh, I was privileged to be invited by the E2 Church uh, to kick off a series on uh, generosity and the grace of giving. And so I preached that Sunday morning. And, and this sermon's completely different. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, should I preach on grace and the, the grace of giving in general? Maybe so. Uh, but this morning's sermon's different. It's a different, totally different sermon. Um, but I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little um, worried that I'm going to be waiting for interpretation uh, this morning. I kind of had those breaks in my sermon last week. Okay, stop here and let Antenor interpret for me. Um, so, uh, I'm going to, maybe I'll see if I can interpret just a little bit for you. Um, inspire, pause, breathe, peace. Inspire, courage, breathe, courage. Inspire, hope. Uh, actually, you did that wrong. Inspire, esperanza. Breathe hope. Not a bad way to begin. Breathing in, inviting God's peace, God's courage, and God's hope. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And as we do that, I'm going to take us back down memory lane for just a few minutes. The title for this morning is, uh, I think, Victory and Freedom, or Freedom and Victory. I sent it uh, from Brazil. I'm not sure if anything got lost in translation. Uh, and you might think, Victory and Freedom, okay, we're just after the 4th of July, so maybe this has something to do with that, and you would be wrong. Um, 
And you might think that, oh, it's Camp Victory's coming up. And maybe this has something to do with that. And you would be kind of right. Uh, But I am going to kind of go that direction as we begin this morning. Because I want to read to you from uh, the Christian Reflections, the Johnson Street News Bulletin uh, from June of 1973. Reservations are trickling into the office for Camp Victory, for our very first Camp Victory. 35 teenagers from Johnson Street have already signed up. Others say they're going, but Lo Ann, we need to firm up that list now. Here are the details. Camp Victory will be held in Buffalo Gap August 5th through the 10th. The staff will come from Johnson Street with Jerry Riley directing it. The purpose of the camp is threefold, to build closer relationships among our teenagers, to bring our youth closer to Christ, and to help our young people connect to the adults within the Johnson Street Church. Just a few weeks later, on August 19th, you undoubtedly have heard by now of our wonderful week at Camp Victory. Lord bless this camp in so many varied ways. We had no serious injuries, which that's good. (laughs) I have a hard time believing this one. Not a single sick camper. And not one serious discipline problem. The staff members along with the campers did a marvelous job of exhibiting the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We praise God for his marvelous blessings. And then the article goes on to talk about already plans for the next camp. For the second annual Camp Victory. Um, And then there were apparently plans to hold two camps per summer. One for junior high and high school students. And then one for uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. So Lois, we'll expect, you know, maybe you can. This is our 45th. Camp Victory. Buffalo Gap, Kingsland, Bandina, Iron Springs, and Camp Eagle. 45 years of Camp Victory. I, I, I love doing this. If you have in any way participated in Camp Victory during those 45 years, as staff, as cook, as uh, chaperone on the bus, as camper, as teacher, as any, if you have participated in Camp Victory in any way in the last 45 years, would you stand up? Now, I know that I would have had more if I'd said if your children had it, but thank you for that. Um, This is my 30th Camp Victory. That doesn't seem possible, Trey Smith and Lynn Bowling. You remember the theme? Uh, The least to the greatest was my first, that was the first theme that year. Since then, we've had a number of different themes. Big picture, hydrate, long line of love. 30 years that I have had the joy and privilege of going with... um, Yes, certainly our students and working with them, but also working with many of you in a staff role and seeing us have that opportunity to shape and form this community of faith during that week of camp and to see you as adults shepherd and care for and love our students. 
And so many of you who are, have gone as staff, you also went as students. Uh, what, what a joy it has been. 45 years of Camp Victory. Um, I have had the honor of 30 years, and I am so thankful for that. Past camps have taught us a lot. And while there are many different purposes to Camp Victory, one of the major reasons for Camp Victory over these past 45 years, I know has been very much my intent in the ones I have directed, is a serious leaning in towards discipleship. That we want to raise up a generation and another generation and another generation of students who not only believe in Jesus but want to live Jesus. Who are called to a daily discipleship of following Christ. We're not just asking what would Jesus do. We're asking what is Jesus doing right now and we want to be a part of that. And so this call to discipleship is what led me to this passage in John chapter 8 this morning. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hang on to the words that I have been teaching, the things I have been speaking, the things that you have seen me living out, if you hold on to those things, then you are my disciples. Doesn't stop there. Because if you are my disciples, if you hold on to those teachings of Jesus, Jesus says, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Back when I was, uh, was growing up in Snyder, Ira, Texas, uh, KSNY, the radio out of Snyder. Uh, one of the preachers from, the, from one of the churches there did a daily uh, program. And honestly, I, I couldn't tell you a thing that he said in his program other than he began every day with, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John, the eighth chapter, verse 32. And that got sunk into my head. I believe that Jesus wants us, yes, to know the truth. He wants us to know the truth of the gospel of his teaching. But the purpose is not to be, not to know the truth just for the sake of knowing the truth. Jesus wants us to know the truth so that we will be set free and we will never again be led back into bondage. That is the purpose for knowing the truth. And that is, I believe, the purpose for Camp Victory in all those years is helping young people. And, you know, those adults, those of us who are adults who go to camp, we actually learn a few things too. And the purpose has been so that we'll be disciples and that we will know the truth and that we will be free because of that truth. But the text of John chapter 8 is one of great conflict. There are a couple of things happening in this text and they play out in about three or four different ways as you work through the text. And Jesus uh, is, is experiencing this and, and John gives us this portrayal of this conflict between truth and freedom and fear and bondage. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> 
And so he's giving us this, this picture of this, this conflict between truth and freedom, fear and bondage. He gives us two different mindsets of the faith community. One, that, that wants to embrace truth and therefore find freedom. And another, that is held captive by fear and is thus enslaved over and over again. There's a lot of different reactions to Jesus within this text. And I'm going to propose to you that all of those reactions to Jesus are grounded, are rooted in the people's fear of Jesus. And I'm not talking a healthy fear and respect and awe. I'm talking they're just afraid of him. And so I want to look at these two different cultures and how they play out. And hold these two different cultures up to us um, as a mirror. And ask us, yes, as individuals, but also as a community, which one do we lean into? Do we hunger for the truth and for the freedom that comes from living as a community of truth? Or are we held back because we are fearful and do allow ourselves to be enslaved over and over again? First of all, a culture of fear. Different things are happening in this culture of fear. Is a culture that is defined by accusation and judgment. As you look through John chapter 8, there are a number of different times where there's accusation and judgment taking place. One of the first of these happens in the very first few verses. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. The culture of fear is one of accusation. In judgment. A culture of fear is one of crisis and reaction. There's a crisis there and the Pharisees find this crisis and they want to react immediately and let's deal with this. A culture of fear is one that lacks imagination. In this instance... The men that are gathered around this woman cannot imagine anything other for her than judgment and death. Culture of fear gets caught up in that this is the way it is, this is the way it's always been, this is the way it will forever be. There is no imagination for anything new. A culture of fear is one of oppression. And silence. You see that the men that gathered around this woman robbed even her voice from her, would not allow her to speak. She was not able to speak until Jesus speaks to her and says, Where have your accusers gone? A culture of fear silences others and says, Your voice is unimportant. As we move down the text, we find that a culture of fear 
is a culture of disbelief. Even those that were gathered there could not believe that Jesus was who he was, who he said he was. They could not believe in him. They refused to believe. And in fact, a culture of fear even encourages a rejection of Jesus. A culture of fear also produces an unhealthy commitment to sameness. Now, I want to tell you, I like being comfortable. Um, there, there are some things, uh, Shelly and Marissa and Kaylee kind of pick on me sometimes because when we go eat Mexican food, they know that I'm probably going to get the Mexican plate. Now, it may be decorated up in a lot of different ways. There are some pretty creative names for the Mexican plate. But I'm generally going to have an enchilada, a taco, some refried beans, and some rice, and a lot of chips and salsa. There may be all kinds of other things, fajitas and, and Spanish steak and tamale plates and all that. I'm going to get the Mexican plate. So, sometimes, maybe I'm defending myself here, sometimes sameness is okay. There's sometimes that being comfortable and having a ritual and a rhythm... That's good. But I'm talking about an unhealthy commitment to sameness that says, once again, I have no vision for anything beyond right here and right now, and I'm not looking for God to do anything new. And then finally, a culture of fear produces in us an inability to, in a healthy manner, release anger we hold on to anger and it sits in us and it boils and it eats away at us until we can find some way to let it out example in this text is you see at the very beginning these men came to Jesus with this woman and they said the law of Moses said we should stone her Jesus confronts them and says, you without any sin, you cast the first stone. And before long, all of those men are gone. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? I don't know exactly where those men went. But what I do know is this. Wherever they went, they kept with them the embarrassment and the anger towards this woman. And at the end of the chapter, it comes back around and they focus it on Jesus. In fact, it even says... I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. They held on to that anger and that bitterness, and they just looked for a way to let it out again. It's a culture of fear. But we are called to be people of truth. Jesus said, if you hold my teachings, you are my disciples. 
and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and that's the culture we are called to be. We are called to be people who are disciples of Jesus who hang on to truth and are set free by that truth. And this is that culture. Truth releases us from bondage. I want to say just a side note right now. If we were in a room with just, actually if I was in a room by myself, I could know this. If I were in a room by myself, I could know that at least one person in that room was a slave to sin. I would know that at least one person in that room struggled with doing the things that he knew he wasn't supposed to do and not doing the things that he was supposed to do. I'm not in a room by myself, right? And what I know this morning is this, that I'm in a room filled with people who struggle with being enslaved to the stuff of this world. We struggle with our own bondage and sin. And, and we could name some of those things, things this morning. I'll let you name them for yourself. But truth releases us from bondage. We are no longer enslaved by the false imagination of others. Jesus could imagine something new for this woman. The men that gathered around her could not. Some of us live our lives being enslaved by what other people think we are or other people think we should be. The only thing that we need to live up to is what Jesus calls us to. Your faithfulness is to Christ and his imagination for you. We are not reactionaries. When confronted with issues that others might see as crisis, we see opportunity rather than crisis. As disciples of Jesus who hang on to the truth, we don't respond out of anxiety and haste. Instead, we invite new opportunities with imagination, patience, prayer, and discernment. We actively and passionately seek opportunities to bless others. We empower the gifts and voices of everyone. Can you imagine how this story of this woman would have been different if the men had gathered around her, known that she had been caught in adultery and all the shame and embarrassment that came with that, if they gathered around her not as judge and executioners, but as a group of people who sought to care for and nurture her. I believe our greatest call in this world, our greatest opportunity in this world, is to be people who passionately and actively seek opportunities to bless others. And that's, that's actually my prayer for us this morning, is that we will see those opportunities around us to bless others and do that and care for them. And we had our group from Brazil, um, we, it was a long trip home. And our three and a half hour layover in Dallas evaporated into about an hour to uh, get off the plane, get through customs, get our bags, 
have them searched, recheck them, go through security, get to another terminal, and get onto the plane back to San Angelo. And the way that played out is a little more than half of our group did that. They got to the gate in time and they got on the plane. Some of the rest of us were held back. Uh, some because of a water bottle in her bag, Allison Bell. Some of us because we're just old and slow and can't run as fast as these guys. And we got to the gate and our students run and some of it, none of it, well, actually Chelsea Valentine was there as a college student who was one of our adults, um, but all the rest of the adults weren't. And they had them on and they wouldn't let us on. And they said, sorry, you're not getting on. Um, first, my wife, the, the mother instinct of my wife came out and said, oh no. <laughs> Those are my children on that plane. And they're not going anywhere without me. Um, and then my, my granddad nickname is Bear. Uh, Papa Bear came out and said, I need to speak to a supervisor. Because those are my kids. Those parents entrusted me with them. We got them all the way to Brazil and I'm not going to get this far from home and lose them. Well, what happened is they relented. We all got got on that plane. What we didn't know is that on the plane, the flight attendants and the pilot were saying, operations has told us to leave. We're not leaving without the entire group. And in fact, we're not leaving without the entire group and their luggage. Basically, the pilot said, they can talk to me all day. I'm not leaving without everyone that's supposed to be on my plane because I know they're right there. That pilot had an opportunity to bless and care for us and he actively and passionately went for it. What would it be like if we as a church body said we belong in this community of San Angelo and the job of the Johnson Street Church of Christ is to bless this community? And we're going to look for opportunities to bless people and love them. We're not going to wait for them to come into this building. But we're going to go out and we're going to bless and care. We're going to meet the people that live next to us. And we're going to bless and care for them and love them. Folks, it would change. It would ch- I, I believe we're doing that in some ways. We can do better. A culture of truth says... While a fear says we're scared, we're not sure we believe, a culture of truth says we believe. And we as a church body say we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that what he said is true. We believe that what he said he's going to do, he's going to do. We believe and nothing will cause us to disbelieve. We always seek to lift up Jesus. We believe in a God who does new things, who creates life out of death, hope out of dismay. We eagerly anticipate being surprised by the power, presence, and imagination of God. A culture of truth says, God, we just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. That's culture of truth, not a culture of fear. Listen to this quote. If you take surprise out of faith... And all that is left is dry and dead religion. Take away mystery from the gospel and all that is left is a frozen and petrified dogma. 
Lose your awe of God and you are left with an impotent deity. Abandon astonishment and you are left with meaningless piety. That's culture of truth. We are left, we are released from religiosity. We are released from being enslaved to religion. Now, don't get me wrong. Religion and being a follower of Christ are two different things. Religion exists for the sake of religion. A follower of Jesus exists for the sake and the mission and care of Jesus. We are released from religiosity. Um, Church is not reduced to patterns and procedures. If we are reduced from religiosity, we are are released from holding a scorecard. We are released from holding a scorecard of who's in and who's out. If we are a culture of truth, we are released from holding a scorecard and evaluation card when we come together that says, I want to make sure we do all the right things in the right ways. Holding that scorecard enslaves us to religion. Getting rid of that scorecard says, we are here for Jesus Christ and Him alone. And a culture of truth always hopes, always, prote- always loves, always protects, and always perseveres. And so here's what I want to tell us this morning. You are free. My guess is that there are plenty of us here this morning hear those words and say, no, I'm not. I'm not free. My guess is that for those of us here this morning, even as I'm, as I'm proclaiming truth, you're hearing the voices that says, yeah, he doesn't know about this. You're right, I don't. It doesn't matter whether I know. Jesus knew everything about that woman. He said, you're free. My guess is that there are those of us here this morning that are saying, no, my identity is not one of freedom. My identity is one of enslavement. And I can never get away from it. And I want to tell you that Jesus wants to tell you, you're free. We are not enslaved to those things anymore. If we are really disciples of Jesus, then we hold the truth. And the truth is this. There is absolutely, absolutely not a one of us in here that is exempt from the power and grace and mercy of the cross of Jesus. You are free. And that's about all I've got. You're free. We're going to close out this time. We're going to have people on both sides. There'll be some of us up here. I want to ask you to 
take just a moment right now and really breathe in peace and courage and hope. Because when we sing the song, again, I'm not guessing about this. I absolutely 100% know this. There are plenty of us in this room that need to get with someone this morning and pray. Some of you may want to go to one of these folks and pray with them and say, I thank God because I know I am free. Go and be thankful. Some of you this morning, I want to encourage you to go to those folks because you want to be free, but you just, you just struggle. You know that what Jesus says is truth, but you're struggling to hang on to it and believe it. Go pray with someone that God will give you the strength to really believe. And some of us here this morning, it doesn't matter how often I say you're free. It doesn't matter how often we read Jesus' words saying you're free. Some of us just cannot really believe that. Get with somebody. It may not be the folks on the side. It may be the person sitting next to you. But pray this morning. We have been held captive to fear way too long. It is time to be people of truth and freedom. Jake, would you lead us in this song? Would you all please stand and find someone to pray with this morning?